Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to Book Journeys Radio. This is Dr. Angela Loria. I am the founder of the Author Incubator and creator of the 10 Steps to Writing a Book That Matters. Every week on Book Journeys, we talk to an author about their experience writing their first book, and this week is no exception. Um, we have Dr. Sarah Lynn Mark here. Dr. Sarah Lynn Mark is uh, the author <coughs> excuse me. She is the author of Stellar Medicine: A Journey Through the Universe of Women's Health. And she's a leader in women's health and really uh, a pioneer in this field, an endocrinologist, a geriatrician, a women's health specialist. Um, and this book is definitely a book that was written to make a difference. So, uh, Dr. Mark, thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So tell us about Stellar Medicine. What's the book about and who is it for? Well, Stellar Medicine is a part memoir, part guidebook on controversial health issues. And I weave in a lot of my adventures across the entire planet, including Antarctica and with the space program, to illustrate my points. I think it was also important to explain to folks across the country, actually across the globe, why some of our health decisions are made, explaining some of the political and social environments that shape decisions. The book initially was targeted for women, but as I've been doing book events across the globe, I have a lot of men attending because a lot of the issues in the book relate to their health, and they find it resonates with what their needs are. And I think it's also important for both men and women to understand each other's health issues and concerns so we can help each other to lead healthier lives. The book is a, is a tool to help people use what they need in their environment to live a life of wellness and balance. So give us an example of what one of these uh, medical issues might be. Well, the book has many different chapters. And the first chapter I entitled The Pandemic of Misinformation, and it was about public health issues. You know, we're inundated every single day from the Internet, from TV, from all sources of media about health concerns. And we often don't know what's real and not real. And I give an example of the last uh, pandemic, swine flu, and there was a lot of misleading information. People were confused. They didn't know if they should have vaccines. They didn't know what they needed to do. Some didn't even know whether they should eat certain food products. And so I help explain how the government determines the information that gets out there, how we as physicians educate our patients. I even have chapters on alternative medicine. We know we all use it, but sometimes the information is very confusing. And I help explain how and why we make decisions regarding alternative medicine. I even go into menopause to use that as an example. A lot of women are turning towards more traditional therapies. One of my favorite chapters is on sex, chocolate, wine, and shopping, especially as we're coming into the holiday season, and how important it is to use life's pleasures to help our own lives. And it's all in moderation, and it's understanding what we do and, and being conscious of what we do and how we can weave that into our lives to be healthier. But one of my most important chapters is on spirituality, faith, and healing, and I find that resonates really across all populations, from people from all different walks of life and from clinicians from all different worlds to understand the impact of spirituality and faith. And I'm not talking really about religion. I'm talking about more of a, a secular spiritual approach and how that is so important towards leading a healthy life. But your background is pretty traditional for some of these sort of alternative things you're talking about. So how, was that something that changed in you or developed? How did you come to reach some of these conclusions? 
Thanks so much for that question. And because it's a part memoir and it's my journey through the universe of women's health, I really go into that. I explain sort of the evolution of where I started in Colorado to how I got to where I wanted to be today. When I was a little girl growing up in Colorado, I wanted to be a doctor and I wanted to practice on the moon. So now I'm a physician and now I get to work with NASA and I get to work with some really exciting projects, for example, to send a a husband-wife team to Mars around 2018 or so. So I explain to my readership how we all evolve and how I evolve, especially in my views about healthcare. I was the first senior medical advisor for women's health at the Health and Human Services Office for Women's Health, and we were charged with really determining what the health issues we needed to address in this country and how to address them. I launched a study called CAMP, Conventional Alternative Menopausal Practices Study. In the government, we always use algorithms and acronyms, and, and this was certainly one of them. And it really helped me drill down into what we use for alternative therapies. We call them traditional therapies. We also look at what we call complementary therapy using conventional or Western medicine with perhaps Eastern modalities. So I, I've had that background. It wasn't separate from my training, but I help now to explain to people how and why they need to look very carefully at what they're doing and understand just because something is quote-unquote natural doesn't necessarily mean it's the best for you. The other part from the personal part, it was always part of my lifestyle. Um, Growing up in my family, my father having a European background, this was something that we did talk about and we sometimes experienced. So it's really a, a nice coming together of using science and evidence to help us determine what we need to do and looking at all modalities. And as I've traveled across the globe, I've been in, in the Andes, and I've been in the Amazon, and I've been in different parts of Asia. I got to experience and, and witness what people were doing, so it helped me to understand it, and I could better communicate it to my patients, as well as incorporate it into my own life. And, um, yeah, you use the phrase evidence-based medicine, which isn't all medicine evidence-based. I mean, it seems like whatever kind of medicine would there be? Non-evidence-based? Yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> anecdotal medicine, too. We wow. live by our experiences. I think we've all done it, where we say to somebody, well, my grandmother did this or my girlfriend did this, so therefore it must be good. Um, I have a chapter on medical myths, and what... I often talk about is sometimes with these myths, there's often a kernel of truth, and it's important to help understand where is that kernel of truth and what is not, what is a fallacy. So, you know, in medicine, it's a combination of both. I, as a doctor, love to have science, but I also know that there's some things that I can't quite measure right now, so I have to go with my gut, my intuitive feeling. And I also try to educate my patients and my readers about that, too. You know when you're well. You know when you're not feeling well. You know when your loved one is not doing great. You've got to tap into that. But with that, you also need to be able to communicate it with your health provider, your nurse, your doctor. And I give the tools for people to be able to do that. Wow, that is very exciting. So I'm curious, how did you come up with the idea to write this book? Why Why a book and why this book? Well, it's interesting, and I write a little bit about that in the book because, it, again, it was part of my journey. I was doing an afternoon TV talk show in Chicago about women's health issues, and the producer came up to me and said, you know, you need to put that into a book. And at the time, I was working for the government. It was the furthest thing on my mind, but it planted the seed. So what I started to do after that is I realized I had a lot of stories. I got to meet people from all over the planet, had these wild travels. I started collecting them on just little sticky notes and kept you know, scraps of paper in my purse. 
so that I could remember some of my experiences. It was sort of my pseudo-diary. And when I decided mm. to leave government and create my company, Solomon Solutions, in 2006, uh, it allowed me the time as well as the opportunity to begin writing. And it was a very slow process because I knew I had a lot in my head. I just didn't know what path it was going to take. And in one of my first chapters of the book, I actually explained how there were different titles for my book and what I was going to write about because the book really was a reflection of what I was feeling. So whether I was frustrated or angry about something or excited about something, it would take that path and eventually it came down to stellar medicine and sort of a double entendre. I want everybody to have great medicine. And I also knew I was influenced by the space program and how that helps your own health. So I wanted to weave space into every chapter because it's a phenomenal opportunity to teach lessons and to see how our body adapts to our environment. So but why write a book at all? Was this something well, other people were telling you to do? Did you do it for yourself? What was the goal? Well, after that... TV show, I noticed people were starting to ask me, do you have a book? And this was sort of pre-blog, pre-internet age. And I began writing blogs in 2008. I initially began writing for political reasons. And I found it was so exciting to be able to write something and just get the messages out there. I got addicted to it in a way. And mm. as I found I was looking at my blogs, I realized I had a story here. I had a journey here. So I started to write an abstract of what I would want to put in a book. And again, it changed. It changed for how I was feeling, what I was experiencing. And then during the years of 2008 and 2009, I had a lot of family tragedies and illnesses and loss. And I found writing was very cathartic. I would write it and release it to the world. And people started sharing it with their friends and family. Again, the Internet, I think, really revolutionized how we could communicate. And more and more people were asking about writing a book and I realized the time is now. I have to write it. I have to get it out. And the book was a way, it was, it was sort of my calling card. I think in the past it used to be that you would hand out a business card. Now we hand out our books. And mm. I found the book was just a wonderful My message is out there. So now wherever I speak, for example, I just got back from England and from Paris, and during my lectures the people want to know about my book. So then they get the book and then I get feedback afterwards and we maintain communication. I also launched a website called StellarMD.com and it's another tool to help share my book and also get feedback from the public and it's helping me think about ideas for my second book. Huh. So when you decided to make it a book, you were already at a point in your career where you were doing television appearances at least. What's the, what's the before and after? Give me life before having a book and life after. What are some of the, some of the hmm. things having a book has brought into your life? Well, I think first, and it's interesting because the, the genesis of getting that book to be something that I could actually hand out was a long one, the labor of it. it was, I call it the labor of love, but it took a lot longer than nine months, was trying to figure out the mechanics of it. I first had a literary agent, and then I decided that my agent wasn't really representing me the way I needed it to be because it's a unique book. And then I got fortunately connected to somebody who was a publisher who got the proposal, liked it, and within weeks signed me on. Um, I would say that I'm identified as an author, which is very interesting because I think we're all authors. We write emails, we share our stories, but we don't really see ourselves officially as authors. And the book gave me that cachet. So as you hand out your, your business card, you also hand out your card about your book. 
I find I get, in fact, just yesterday I got an email from someone in England, and he's an entrepreneur, and he wrote his, underneath his uh, email and postscript was, by the way, my wife is addicted to your book, which I thought was really interesting. So what it's done is it's allowed me to come into people's homes. And that was how I wrote the book, and that's actually been part of some of the reviews, is that I wanted it to be as if we're sitting around your coffee table or your kitchen table, and we're just talking informally, whether as girlfriend-girlfriend or girlfriend-friend or patient-doctor, but in a formal setting, taking you out of your examining room so that your answers, your questions are answered and the answers make sense to you. So I allow people into my life, um, especially sharing very personal issues, and I find that I'm, there's more of an informality as well as confidentiality. I get a lot of stories from people that probably wouldn't have opened up unless they had my book. It's also opened doors for me in some respects, a lot of speeches, some more media, uh, interviews. Uh, it really kind of permeates some of my credentials that I had. So I think we lost you for a minute in there, but I think we got the gist of it. I thought maybe you were gone. Um, but so now tell me um, about your experience writing. You sort of said it was more than nine months to give birth to this baby. So talk to us about how you wrote it and how long did it take and what was the writing process like for you? Okay, well, it started, as I mentioned, on scraps of paper, putting together ideas, then creating an abstract of where I needed to go, developing a proposal, uh, realizing that the proposal may need to be dynamic and fluid as you begin to write. Your views and perspectives may change. And then I found... And was this uh, all happening? Was this all happening in your head? Like, were you consulting with anyone in the book industry? Were you reading any books on this? Or is this just you thinking it through? I have to say it was me thinking it through. And then when I would hear from someone published, I would ask them questions about how they got a publisher, how they got a literary agent, what was the best approach. So it was sort of informal. I can't say I went to the library or bookstore and bought a book about writing about books. Um, it was really talking to people who've, who've done it and realizing their experiences might be different than mine. Um, I, again, as I mentioned, found a Larry agent who was wonderful, but I don't think he exactly understood what I was trying to do and it wasn't going to work. If somebody's going to represent you, if you decide to go down the path of having an agent, they really have to understand who you are, why you're writing it, what you're writing, because they're your representative, they're your advocate. Um, I do think they're very important. Perhaps for my second book, I may have a literary agent because I think negotiating your contract with a publisher, it's often easier to do having another party do that for you. I did have a lawyer mm -hmm. look at my contract, which helped me for the legality part of it. But I think somebody who's an agent can really interface more directly with publishers. And then as I've learned, some publishers won't even entertain your book unless it's being presented by a literary agent. So right. I think that is important as well. So. Again, having that book proposal, having something, some foundation that you can stand on to either get it to a publisher or a literary agent. Once I found a publisher, and again, it was sort of word of mouth, and the publisher read the proposal, seemed to like it, and then signed me on, it gave me a timeline. Because I think all of us as writers, unless you sometimes have pressure to get something that you may not do it, because writing is very, um, very personal, it's very ethereal, it's very passionate. And you just, I know people have said you just need to sit down every day and write. I have found I've not been that kind of writer. I can do that for scientific papers, but when I really need to drill mm -hmm. into my soul, it's just got to come to me. So, for example, I just had a piece published in the Washington Post last Sunday, and I wrote it on the train from Paris to 
I was inspired to write, and I just had to write, and I had to get it out. So that's how I came to with my book. But now I now had a deadline, so it was wherever I, I was anywhere, it was always in the back of my mind. I need to write, and often what would happen is I would come home. Let's say I went to a movie. Um, I remember the uh, the James Cameron movie, the last one he did. And I came back and was so inspired by it that I sat at my table, kitchen table, and I just wrote the entire chapter on spirituality, faith, and healing from being inspired wow. by that movie. Um, the chapter on the, my first chapter I actually wrote as my last chapter, the pandemic and misinformation, after watching the Super Bowl and being so inspired by the patriotism of folks in the audience and how we came together as a nation during certain crises and calamities and how we could celebrate as one. And that helped me to write that first chapter. So I really wow. tried to tap into what my life was going through at the moment. Um, I wrote a chapter on veterans' health, which is another very deeply personal chapter for me from both a family perspective as well as some of my, my friends and colleagues. And after certain times, I would talk about events, whether I was invited to speak at a veterans' event or I attended one. It helped me to fill in that chapter. So it was really life directing me. And then I have to say that we were very fortunate to be in Washington, D.C. during a time when we had many blizzards. And we couldn't get out of our homes. Oh, it I know very those. Like, very do you remember those? Yes. Back-to-back 20-inch storms. Oh, phenomenal. We had more snow here than I did in my hometown of Denver, Colorado. And you couldn't wow. go anywhere. And it trapped me. And I say trapped because I couldn't go anywhere, but I had to write. And I would write near the end about 18 hours a day, just writing and writing and writing until I was almost blurry-eyed on my laptop, and that's how I got the book done. I also um, hired a research assistant. I think that's helpful, too, because you have to guide study to get you the information that you need, and that helped keep me on track as well. And if you uh, and if you go back to that time in your mind when you were writing, what were some of the big challenges you came up against? So you talked about the times when it was easy, when you had those moments of inspiration. But what did you do when it was hard to write? What did you tell yourself, and how did you work through those times? Writer's block. Yeah, yeah sure, we can call it that. There were two ways to get through it. Um, one thing I did is I knew I had a deadline, and I booked a trip to for the weekend after I finished my deadline, so that was going to be my gift to myself, and I did that several months beforehand. So I was very excited about that. Again, I think we, we respond to po- uh, positive reinforcement. And mm-hmm. when I was finding, I, because I was a personal book and I also needed to look at the political and social environment, I knew I was treading into some very um, controversial areas and some areas that might offend some people, and I didn't want to do that. It wasn't my goal, but yet I also had to be true to what I believed in. So when I experienced those moments, I would sometimes talk with people who may have different views from me to get their insights so I could be clear about what my insights were, but also how to be respectful of their needs too. So in a way, when you're writing a book, you're living that book. It's woven into your DNA, and it never escapes you. I can't say there were moments where I just felt calm and relaxed. It was always in the back of my mind. Now, during that time, I lost my mother after a very arduous battle with pancreatic cancer and, and many medical mistakes. And I just couldn't sit still long enough to write. So for several, several weeks, I just put it away. I couldn't do it. I just couldn't even look at it because I knew I was going to have to sit still and write 
actually come to terms with everything that had happened. So um, I think the other part is just being good to yourself, you know, realizing there'll be moments you're going to be able to write and there are moments you're not going to be able to write, but to honor what you need to go through your journey. Wow. I just I just love that. It's so simple, but if we choose to say, you know, this is just one of those moments I'm not going to write. I'm just not here. I'm not there. It's such a different experience than the way it's, it's so easy for writers to beat themselves up and be like, I should be writing. I should be getting page count in. You know, this is what real writers do. I should have gotten up an hour earlier. And I think so quickly we go to that place of self-punishment instead of just saying, like, hey, it's pretty simple. This just isn't, <laughs> this isn't the zone for me to write right now. And that's okay. Exactly. And, it, and again, and I think it depends what you're writing, but if you're writing something that you're putting part of yourself on that page, you've got to come to it with the purity of mind, at least my view, at least for me I did. Otherwise, yeah, it's not going to be your truth, and anyone who reads it is probably going to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you finish the book, and mm-hmm. now you've got a manuscript in your hands. How, right. What was the next step for you? Well, the next step, um, the publisher wanted it, and I got it to the publisher, um, and we had a tentative date for publication, and I, right before it was to be published, and I think the night before, I, I remember I was in Texas at a, a space meeting, and I was reading the book. I was so excited in my hotel room, and I realized, for me at least, it wasn't edited the way I wanted it to be edited. I found there were a lot of um, the Now, did the publisher edit it? The publisher had an editor, um, but I find what you have to do is you still have to be your own advocate, and mm. you're going to see things that other people aren't going to see. And, you know, we're all kind of perfectionists in our own way, and it's, for me it was a reflection of what I had experienced writing my book, so it was very important. So I asked for the book not to be published until it was re-edited again, and then it kind of I think it probably got moved to a different level because everybody's on a timeline, but for me that was more important to just have it right. Um, And then again, working with the the publisher to see that it was edited in the way I wanted it. With that said, there's still some things that I think need to be corrected. I mean, you know, it's probably part of our, someone once said a writer's job is never done, and perhaps in future versions it will be. Um, And I just just want to stop here and reflect for one second on this because I think this is something that will surprise a lot of our listeners and um, I just want to say like shock them. I've had so many authors tell me they submitted their book to their publisher and when it came back it didn't feel like their book. They Mm -hmm. didn't like the cover. They didn't like the editing. Something about it was almost taking away taking away something from the experience. And I think that there are lots of reasons to go with a traditional publisher, lots of reasons to self-publish. I don't think there's one right way or wrong way at all. Uh, Everybody's book journey is different and everybody has different needs. But the thing that I would say is most useful about this conversation in this lesson is to expect that. If you're working with a publisher, expect that it may not come back how you want. And figure out what your priorities are and what your approach is going to be. Because it will affect the timeline if you say no. You may not be able to say no, which is a reason to know your contract really well. Um, You know, if if you can't say no, what does that mean? Do you want to buy your rights back? But knowing this might happen and and knowing the upsides of working with a publisher as well, because there are both, 
um, and having a plan of attack because I think for a lot of people the shock uh, no. can be can be almost paralyzing. I've had many people I've interviewed on the show that you know wrote their book, it came back from their publisher, they hated it, and then they got out of the contract one way or another, often at an expense, and then put their book on the shelf and just didn't get it out in the world for another ten years because they couldn't bear the thought of thinking about their book. No, it's really interesting, especially when you put so much of yourself in it. And my publisher, fortunately, has said that he will re-edit. There's some things in there that I didn't even see in the galley that wasn't that's in the book. And maybe little things like typos or words used differently. Um, and, you know, again, your book is such a personal reflection of yourself that you want it to really, really reflect it. But what I found I had to do is you either can pull it back, which I did once, or you can let it be, and then hopefully people get the gestalt of it, realizing that you don't have control. Because when you do have a publisher, you almost don't own your book. You don't own your rights. Mm-hmm. It's only The book is owned right. by somebody else, um, which I think surprises a lot of people. They'll ask mm. me about ordering books for me, and I will say, I don't own my book. You have to go through my publisher. So that is very surprising, and I think it's surprising for an author as well. Now, with that said, we have entered a world of self-publishing, but I think in certain circles that's still a challenge. If you're in the academic or a medical circle, the first question I always get from everyone is, who's your publisher? They want to mm. know that your credentials. It comes with um, a sense of honor, actually, to be published by a respected um, publisher. So you know you and have so to. And so, if raise, you had to do it over again, would you do something differently? Is there advice you'd give people um, based I on your experience? Well, um, I would say again, we're trained as authors, so to speak, to write. That's what we do. That's why I think it would probably be useful having a literary agent who can be your representative, who can fight your battles, so that you can maintain the integrity of your writing and not have to get completely embroiled in that. So I think it would probably be worthwhile and, and useful for that. Uh, just And then the other part of it is realizing when you sign with the publisher, you're releasing some of your control as well because mm. it's, a, you know, mm-hmm. it's a business. They need to get the book out. Um, for me, it took a while. It, I had started a pre-book tour already, and people were expecting my book, and I didn't have it because I had pulled it back. So. Yet I still continue to get messages out there so when the book was ready, they were ready to have it. And that's the other thing I learned is you have to be your own self-promoter. I think a lot of mm. us who are incredibly well-known author, I think a lot of um, individuals have to really go out there and, and promote their own book, getting it out into the media, getting it out among colleagues, getting it out into their professional societies, getting it out into the communities they want to share it. So you, you have to promote your own book. So for example near a bookstore, go in and let them know about your book. When I'm in airports, I'll drop off my business card for the book and say, hey, this could be really great for you to to, uh, to have. What's the biggest surprise for you of this whole experience of being an author? What surprised you the most? The biggest surprise? I would say, again, the publishing experience. It was all new for me. And realizing you really don't have that much control over your book once you sign your contract. Um, Again, it might be different if you're doing it with a literary agent. Um, And then I think the other biggest surprise is how important a book is to your professional development. Um, Hmm. I think a book really is, again, as I mentioned earlier, it's your calling card. It's what you represent. It's how people know you. 
Now when I'm being introduced, I'm also being introduced as author of Stellar Medicine. And that surprised me. I thought they would be focused on my, my education and training that I practiced in a certain environment or I advised governments, but it's really, it's often the book. Right. It's so fascinating. I ask authors all the time, like, how much more did you know about your topic after you wrote your book than before? And usually it's like, not, not that much more. I was already an expert on this topic. And yet the minute you have your book that becomes the most important credential. All you did yeah. was write it down, but before when you knew it, it didn't count. Now you write it down and you're an author. It's like, yeah, you know, it's really funny. It it's a transformative moment. It's transformative. It really and is. I'll Have never a minute forget. And here's what I want to do. I want you, I'm sure this has happened to you. We both live in Washington, D.C., so I, I know I've been at parties that you've probably been at too. And people will ask me, how did you write your book? I really want to write a book. So many people have this dream of writing mm-hmm. a book, and yet so few people push it across the finish line. So in our last uh, in our last minute here, I just want you to give our listeners advice. Somebody who says to you, I, I've always wanted to write a book, and they haven't done it. What would you tell them? I would tell them to, to start putting together ideas. It's your legacy. After you leave this planet, this is what people come back to, and that's how they review your life. So look at it as your your legacy, your calling card, your birthright, that you're giving a gift to the world. And by doing that, it puts a sense of joy into writing. It's not onerous, and it allows you the freedom to express yourself and allow yourself to go in many different directions. So start putting together ideas, start putting together abstracts. And I also find that as you start talking about it with other people, just as we are doing today, for example, my second book, I want it to be called uh, Space Aging, a Manual for Stellar Health. It puts it out to the universe, and people then want to have it, and it helps to inspire you, me, to write books and to be able to share our views and thoughts with the world and to get their views and thoughts back so that we continue to grow and evolve as well. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank you so much. Um, oh, we didn't get your website in. So Dr. Sarah Lynn Mark, you can learn more about her at Solamed Solutions. That's S-O-L-A, med, M-E-D, solutions.com. Dr. You Mark, thank you so much you. for being my guest today. Oh, you have oh, another website too? <laughs> yes, it's uh, www.stellarmd.com where you can find Dr. Mark. Thank you again for being our guest today. We will be back next week on Book Journeys Radio where we're changing the world one book at a time. With Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.